Matthew 6, 1 through 4. We'll start at Tristan. Do you want to read one verse and we'll go clockwise? Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Sorry, I was like, the the link brought us to chapter 5, so I was like, okay. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrisies do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues synagogues and streets called attention to their acts of charity I tell you the truth they have received all the reward they will ever get this is the message so what what is that a mile three yes sorry read the whole section of the message when you do something for someone else don't call it Is that the message too? No. Um, Maybe five. Uh, we're reading one through four. Oh, okay. That's kind of it. Yeah. That was included in that. Sweet. Sorry. Oh, no, you're cool. I love the message. All right. So I figure because we're only doing four verses, we can break it down verse by verse. Um, let's see. What time is it? It is 7-11. Okay, perfect. 7.30, Tom. Do you and Tanner want to take over and teach the kids the Bible lessons? And then, but we've got time now. Because they're outside and there's a blow up house. <laughs> so you're saying I can stay in here and listen for the long time yeah. around? Yeah. I would like that. You're like, so you're okay with that. yeah, yeah, totally. All right, so we're gonna, I wanna break this down verse by verse, and I'm gonna be reading from the NLT, New Living Translation. So Matthew 1, uh, Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And so when Jesus was saying this to his disciples, one, he's, talk, he's speaking to, in a, to a Jewish culture, right? So his disciples were Jews. And so something to note is that in Jewish culture, the idea of helping out the needy was embedded into their religious practice. So it's, it was called almsgiving. And so um, it was just what they did. So almsgiving, prayer, and fasting were three regular parts of the religious experience for Jewish people. So when Jesus was saying this to his disciples and when the audience is Jewish, he is saying something that is very obvious. But what he's pointing out is that when you um, essentially like watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. Jesus begins to set up this contrasting idea is that there are two types of rewards. They're the rewards of those where if you are doing good deeds, if you are giving to the needy, if you're caring for people and you're doing it so that other people can praise you and acknowledge how awesome you are, then you're doing it with the wrong motive. Then you're not doing it in the right context. And he's like, don't do that. Because when you do that, your reward is other people thinking you're awesome. And if you live to do good so that other people can, like, uh, like essentially uh, praise you and give you acknowledgement 
that is not the right motive. And he's calling them out because he's like, you shouldn't do that. What you should do is that you should give in secret. And why you should give in secret is that your reward would be in heaven. And so what was interesting to me is that Jesus, speaking into a Jewish context, speaking to Jews, when he said the reward is from God in heaven, that is what, when you do it the right way, that is your reward. But the question I want us to talk about is what do you think the reward from God in heaven is? In the Jewish context, and also when you hear this scripture about your reward being in heaven, what does that look like to you? What does that make you feel? What do you think? This reminds me of later on in chapter one, do not store for yourself things to honor and build in moths to distort integrity. Right? I think they go together in the same way, right? In the Jewish context, the reward in heaven is essentially rescue from the oppression that they have experienced for thousands of years prior, for hundreds of years prior. Because what God allowed them to experience was constant, like, butt whooping from other nations. Is that they knew that they believed that they were the chosen nation, yet there were constantly other nations coming in and ruling over them. So again, their idea of a Messiah was a warrior was someone who was going to come in and rescue them and deliver them and like take them away. So that reward in heaven from God in heaven was this idea of a rescue. And I remember one time <coughs> I was, it was in college um, and I was working with this girl and she just said, I can't wait for the rapture. So the rapture is essentially in Christian, like in Christianity, it's like essentially when God comes back, and all like believers will go to heaven and she was like I can't wait for Jesus to come back and I and I said I didn't understand why but I remember having that conversation and realizing that there are so many people that I love who do not know Jesus that if he came back and if this is what I believe is that if he comes back and that is it then there's so many people that I dearly love that will not go to a place that I believe exists and then that moment, I began to understand the sense of urgency that, like, that we should have as Christians. Like, if you are here and you're like, on, I'm a Christian, there is a sense of urgency that we need to live by. That when you identify, when I identify, when we identify that we are the church and we believe in Jesus and we believe he is coming back, that urgency, that should bring forth in a generous life and an extravagant, not an extravagant in like having things, but this extravagant love that flows from us. Because if we believe that he's coming back and he can come back at any time, that means that when he does, the people that we know and love might not have an opportunity to go into this place that we believe is true and into the place that we call eternity. And why that is important to acknowledge is that that, like to me, when we believe that the rapture will, like when we as Christians do not have that sense of urgency, we lose perspective of the generosity that is evident in this scripture. Because when we think about what Jesus is talking about, he's like, don't, he's talking about how we should be caring for people. He's talking about how we should love people. And he's, he's pointing to the heart. 
a couple of Thursdays ago, I said, like, I, sometimes I feel like God is just telling us, put the cup on the table. And we're like, so we put it on the floor? No, put, put it on the table. So put it on the windowsill. It's like when you tell a child, you're like, okay. Like, Sarah, you work with a two and a four-year-old. What does it feel like when you're like, all right, guys, just put it on the table. And they're like, so put it in my hair? Or like, no, just put it on the table's right there. What does that feel like to like say something to somebody and then they're just like watching and they're like, on the floor? It's frustrating. It's frustrating, right? Because they should know. So this, I, I sidetrack into this, this idea of rescue because the Jews wanted to be rescued so badly. They wanted to be taken away from their circumstance. And if we begin to think of that, that we want to be taken away, that we want the rapture to happen, that we want Jesus to come, that is the wrong mindset because you have to think of every single person that you love and care for. And if you believe, if we believe that heaven is real and heaven, that is the other side of eternity, and we want to be rescued and escape from our present oppression, then we miss the point that there are so many people that we should be loving extravagantly, loving well, showing a generosity that is kingdom culture, living a life that goes, everything I have is a result of what God has given me, so I live with open hands because this is kingdom culture. And so he moves on in verse two, he goes, when you give to someone in need, don't do it like as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpet, trumpets in, this, uh, in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you, they have received all the reward they will ever get. The two rewards of acknowledgement and praise from man for being a good person by showing that they can do all these things. And then the reward that is from God. And so <coughs> I began to look into what a hypocrite is. And so, um, and I don't feel like anybody feels good when they're like called a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be the person that um, is known to say one thing but be completely different, right? So the definition that I found out as I was studying is a hypocrite is someone, some, sorry, someone, not something, <laughs> who puts on a mask and pretends to be somebody that they are not. And so the idea was in, it was very much attached to actors. And so in way back when, when they would have shows how they would change characters is they would put on a mask and then they become this different character and the idea of um, hypocrisy and hypocrites are people who put on this mask and put on this like exterior like I am one way but deeply I am not and he's like don't be like them and as we continue to work through Matthew we'll begin to see how Jesus continues to call them out do not be hypocrites and um, I like sharing personal stories when I teach because I can. And so one of like one of the things that made me hate Christians for so long was the fact that they were all hypocrites. Every Christian that I met was somebody who would say, "I'm this. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person." But I would know them outside of their context, and they would be this other person. So, like, the example, like, I remember in my senior year of high school, I was sleeping with somebody, and I didn't know this, but he was the worship leader of his youth group at a church, and so he was living this life, and he was choosing to live this other life, and he was saying in those Christian circles and presenting himself as a super godly, religious serve like servant hearted person but he was making decisions that were very contrary to what Christianity what Jesus teaches and then he became more of a hypocrite to me when I met his girlfriend 
at church. And I remember having that experience and thinking, I don't ever want to be a hypocrite. I don't ever want to be something. I don't ever want to say I'm something that I'm not. And Jesus takes it really serious enough to wear scriptures. If you see repeating themes, if you see repeating imagery, that is because it's important for people to see and for people to know. That is important (coughs) for people uh, to acknowledge. He's like, don't be a hypocrite. You don't want to be the person that says you're something and you're not. And so the religious people of that day were saying, we are godly. We love God. We are good people. We are all these things. But then they failed to love people. Because the religious people that were saying, I'm godly. I'm, I'm great. Look at the way I'm giving to people. Look at this. Back in those days, if you were a very charitable giver, they would inscribe your name into the side of walls. Which is funny because we still do that. You see bricks with people's names on it because they donated X amount of money to something. And they, they did that back then, is that if you gave a large amount to a synagogue, or they would inscribe your name. There he like, don't do it for that. Because what they're doing, what the religious people of the day were doing, is that they were missing the point. They were missing the heart, and Jesus is constantly just pointing us back to the heart of the law. He's pointing us to the fact that I didn't give you these laws so that you can oppress people. So that you can throw the adulterous woman on the street and say she was caught cheating. We caught her because we were watching her. So we caught this woman cheating. What are you going to do with her? And then Jesus responds, if any of you are without sin, feel free to throw the first stone. So they throw a naked woman into a street and they condemn her. Because she is adulterer. They didn't throw the man out into the street. They threw her. These are the same religious people that would make, like, because they truly believed that if they didn't sin for, like, X amount of days, then their Messiah would come back. And so they made law for law. Last week it was, I shared, like, if you had to draw a um, water from a well on the Sabbath, you could only draw X amount. If, if somebody, like, you had to observe the Sabbath because that was law-keeping. And he's like, you're missing the point. Because outwardly, you're saying you're these good people. You're saying you're, you have these good deeds. But you are not loving my people, and that is my heart. Is loving the thing that I have created, and I have created humans. <coughs> so I begin to think, how do we as the church miss the heart of God? is when we begin to create culture that says you have to behave this way before you can ever belong to us. Maybe you can believe, but most importantly, if you behave in a way that I find to be good enough, then you can belong to us. How do we, as Christians, miss the heart of God when we fail to help people because we can? And we come up with all these rules and regulations, I've got to pray more. If you have, like, this is where it can get a little dicey. Because when you talk about coffee, like, people get real sassy about it. But if you can have $5 to buy coffee every single day, you probably have $5 to buy a meal for a homeless person. But then it gets dicey because, like, it's maybe it's their fault that they're there. Maybe it's their fault they have an addiction or have some sort of mental thing. And that's the reason they're on the street. But I think 
if I can, then why wouldn't I? Because it's not my job to regulate them. My job is to obey every prompting that God puts in front of me to obey, to be more generous. And so this idea is that the religious people that Jesus said, these are the hypocrites, are people who say that they live this great life, that they're doing these great deeds, but they've missed the heart of the law. And you know that, in, like I think in each of our lives, we can think of times where we probably did something to be acknowledged. We probably did a good deed so somebody can praise us, so somebody can say we're doing great. And that's not the heart of God. That is not the reward we want. <coughs> and then he says, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What did you think Jesus meant? Like, what does he mean when he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Feel free to share. Just so you aren't motivated by, you know, some other way. Yeah. Motivated by people or recognition. When you so who, when you do something with your left hand, so I'm right-handed. When I write something, I don't think about what my left hand is or is not doing. If you are do like think about an action that you probably do, like drinking a cup of coffee or picking up a piece of paper. Do do you think about what the other hand is doing? Do you really even like? I didn't really idea pick up plate you pick up plate but I'm not thinking about every step of the way to get every muscle to move the plate and I didn't even think about my right hand as I thought as my left hand pick up picks up the plate and I think what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that things should become so natural this idea of taking care of people almsgiving prayer fasting so next week we're talking about prayer and fasting it should become so reflex to us that we don't even think about it that when we do something out of generosity, it is such embedded as a part of who we are that it should be so natural that we just do it. That our other parts, we're not thinking about the acknowledgement. We're not thinking about what the other part, like all the other parts, is that we're just, we're just living in reaction to this kingdom culture and this grace that we've been exposed to. And says generosity is something that should be so natural to the believer that we don't even think about how it makes us generous. 
So when you don't even think about how you pick up a cup with one hand and how the other hand isn't doing something, it's when you, we are generous, we should be living out of this overflow of knowing that everything we have is from God. So we live in reaction to that miracle and that truth that we don't even think about it. That is just a way that we live. Because when we live in that way, we're not looking for acknowledgement. We're not looking for someone to say, man, look how, um, like, look how great, like, Tristan is picking up all that trash after somebody. But Tristan's like, well, <laughs> no big deal. But, like, we don't, we don't even begin to think that way. Because it begins to be something that we do. And when I was thinking about this idea of generosity, I cringe a little bit because in current church culture, when we talk about generosity, we talk, we're talking about money. When we talk about taking care of the needy, we're talking about money. When we ask people to give, we generally ask people to give money. And um, so the idea of generosity, um, because I got saved in a prosperity gospel church, which means if you give more, God will bless you more. And uh, how you know God loves you is because you have the thing, like you have things, right? And so uh, I got saved in that culture and I believed in it. And it wasn't until I grew in my faith that I realized that that is false gospel. The idea that if you give more, God loves you more. So God loves you more than the poor child who can't give anything. Like that's very contrary to what is in scripture. But I believed in it and I began to think like I, I cringe typing out generosity because I know what we think about generosity now. But this idea of giving to the needy wasn't just giving them money. It was giving them eye contact. It's giving them the humanity that they deserve because they are human beings. It is taking the time to stop and care and acknowledge. It is taking time to think if I, like, um, taking time to slow down. And it's not just needy and you think homeless. But it's any person with a need, if we can meet it, why do we hyper-spiritualize it by saying, well, let me pray about it. Let me pray about buying you a hamburger for $3 while I walk in here and pay $20 for a meal. Let me think about buying you socks during winter when I go out and buy my clothing that I will probably drop a lot of money on. Let me think about that. And so this idea of generosity is that it should be so natural because we understand that we can be generous because Jesus is generous with us. So that what I was left on after thinking about generosity is how is Jesus generous with us in the things that we need? And I want you to think outside of the realm of money. So think about something in your life that you have needed that Jesus has provided. So I'm going to share first mine <coughs> is Jesus gives me grace because I desperately need grace. I need to remember, and not just even grace from God, but grace for myself. Is that when I make a stupid mistake, I, um, I will be the hardest person on myself. And I will beat myself up and I will cry about it and I will like just get so obsessive about it and Jesus gives me those moments of saying I'm not this hard on you I don't expect perfection from you 
So if I, your Savior, do not expect these things from you, why do you expect these things from you? And the first thing that came to my mind in sharing this is that the first um, card, prayer cards that we sent out to people on our prayer list and handed out to people, there was one grammatical error. And it was 1030 at night. (coughs) I was about to fall asleep. And I immediately was like, there's an error on the card. I had four people look at the card prior and nobody said anything. Nobody caught it. But it was 10.30, Riley was asleep and I'm about to fall asleep and I wake up and I'm like, there's an error. I look at the card and then I text Lindsay and I go, there's an error on the card. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is the error. And did I text you too, Martha? Probably. I literally, in lack of better, I lost lost my shirt. I was like crying because I was like people are gonna think I'm stupid. People are gonna think I don't even remember but I was it was the wrong text. I wasn't very sensitive. Yeah but I was like but I remember I sat there crying and then I was weeping because I was like people are gonna think I'm stupid. I'm a female lead pastor. There's already enough hurdles I have to overcome. And then here I am making grammatical errors. Like, they're just going to think I'm incapable. And I had, yeah, like, there's all these things that I started to think about. And Riley wakes up. He goes, what is going on? And I'm, like, sobbing. And I'm so upset. And he goes, I don't know what you said, but you were real sweet about it. You were just like, well, honey, it's okay. It's okay. But I just remember in that moment, and I was, like, freaking out. And I was like, and I was so upset. I got back up. I sat right here. I'm like sobbing because that air was pointing to a way deeper insecurity that I had about myself and this role and this thing we we're going to do. And Riley wakes up and he comes out here. And I don't know what you said to me, but what I left that experience remembering was just that. No, what Riley said was that if anybody thinks you're stupid and not capable to do essentially what God has called you to do, they don't deserve to be on our prayer list. And that moment for me, he's like, and I realized that moment that Jesus gives me grace for myself when I don't have any grace for myself. So that's something that Jesus is very generous with me. That's something that I need. And I would love for you guys to share what Jesus is generous with you in for the things that you need. (coughs) Don't shout me down now. Like, don't argue. Don't try to fight to talk, guys. <laughs> I, I think Jesus has blessed me with family, and um, I don't really have a big family. Sorry. Support, but uh, you tell. Uh-huh. I met Martha, and I do now. So, the Lord provides. The Lord provides you good homemade meals. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, it's kind of money, but it's not real money. So Tom and I, <coughs> when we were first married, um, God provided us with a really, really cheap house, like a crazy cheap house. And we worked really hard to build it up. And because of that crazy cheap house, we were able to, I was able to stay home mm-hmm. and we were able to have kids, mm-hmm. right? And so that's been a really big blessing because if I had had to go because of, you know, my heart's desire to stay home. And then when we moved 
It takes a lot of pressure yeah. off. <laughs> hey, Tom, do you want to go out with Tanner and start teaching the kids yeah. once they've energized down? Thank you. Tristan, What is how, how is Jesus generous with you and the things that you need? Um, I feel like I've been given a lot of patience, whether it's <coughs> like with certain people or waiting for something that I need or things don't come right away. And just knowing that being able to wait is a lot easier than children the gift of sleep too because <laughs> their lack of is affecting my sleep <laughs> yeah, I just think it's cool like how it changes <coughs> and sometimes the way that you know his generosity comes through is just unexpected or so desperately needed in a time when you're just not expecting and so it's like sometimes for me a lot of times it comes down to like Time. It's like when, you know, something, you know, that is really just bogging down on, like, your time and the way that it's affecting you personally. And mm -hmm. something falls through and, you know, you realize, like, this is a gift in some ways. And it's like, you know, taking advantage of those things and just coming through with its generosity in ways that you're not expecting is also great. From this... This is kind of something that stood out to me. It's like Jesus saw the need and he met it because he could. And I just begin to think about every miracle that Jesus does, every met need that he met. There were a lot of circumstances where he's like, don't go tell people. So what do the people do? They go tell people. And this idea that he, he saw it, he met it because he could. He see and like even in my life and even the way that I've experienced the Lord and church and community, I am so grateful that God saw that I needed something deeper. And and he met me in that in that messy place of my life. And it wasn't like the hordes gathering around Jesus, it wasn't because he was like, Look at me. This guy, Messiah. You guys can come gather now. Come, come. 
But when people experience something supernatural, something that is outside of anything that they could even produce on their own, they begin to grow curious of what that is and it draws people in. When we live in kingdom culture, when we see needs and then we meet it because we can, we don't have to say, look at me and all the things I have done. People just begin to say, why are you so full of joy? Why, like, why do you do this? Why do you deliver meals? Why do you take the time to stop and talk to homeless people? Why do you invest in children who are not yours? Why do you do these things? And it begins to draw this curiosity because this culture is not the culture that we live in. And so if Jesus met a need, he saw a need, he met the need because he could, then how should we as believers live our life? Is if we see a need and we can meet it, why wouldn't we meet it? Why wouldn't we gather people? Why wouldn't we live life with white people? Why wouldn't we invite people to follow Christ with us? Why wouldn't we? Because that is the greatest need in our culture is the need for people like for people to know who God is. And it will never be met by us standing on corners holding signs that says you're going to hell. Like I have actually never seen that successfully happen. But it is when we take time to slow down and ask people their stories. Yesterday I went to Kyrie's school to do career day and um, I, it was real hard to explain technology to five-year-olds um, because they're like, yeah, YouTube. I was like, well, think of YouTube. <laughs> think of the people that made it. Like I work with developers. They're like, we love YouTube. And I just, anybody have a question? And they're like, yeah, yeah, they raise their hand. And they're like, I have a game on my iPad that I really like. <laughs> and that was their <laughs> I know. And so we had to be like, all right, who has a question? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, is this a question or is this something you want to share? And they're like, definitely a question. I was like, cool, cool, what's your question? And he goes, my dad got me an app about cars on my tablet. I really like the cars. I can build trucks. I'm like, yeah? That was it. So it was real hard to go and explain it to people but then I got I tried to make my job at what I do at Faith Life and I reduced it to I get to encourage people I get to hear their stories and I get to help them that is what I do I listen I encourage and I help because that's what they can understand because they were not getting my YouTube idea about developers and coders and what we all do on teams <coughs> but the idea is that listening, hearing people's story and encouraging them, that is ministry, that is evangelism, that is like hands uh, like hands in, willing to get life messy because you're willing to invest in people. And that's the same exact thing that Jesus did, is that he constantly was in situations where he got messy, his reputation got messy because he was eating, uh, he was at a well in the middle of the day with the Sumerian woman that that was the time that they can go because everyone else wasn't going to be there and can and having conversation as a man with a woman in this place from another culture that was not good his reputation got messy the religious people thought he was a sinner because he ate with sinners and he's like no you guys are missing the point you guys are missing the entire thing 
But that's the thing is that if we see need and we can meet them, then we should because we can. And that need isn't always going to be money. But that need could be an in, just pulling up a chair and saying, do you want to talk about it? Hey, I noticed that. Is something wrong? Like, are you okay? Even take, like, I think those are the needs. I don't think Jesus was just talking about money. He was talking about real needs that people have. And y'all, sometimes that's a freaking hug. That is somebody, like, we, when uh, yesterday we were at the roller link. What is that called? Linden Skate. Linden Skate. Something for Kyrie School. And this Kyrie, like, biffed it hard. And this girl, this middle school girl, like, comes roller skating up to her and just stops and helps her and was, like, super kind to her. So I got that girl's name, and I said, thank you so much. Um, you're being so kind to my daughter. I really appreciate it. And then I found her mom, and I was like, is this your daughter? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, she's freaking awesome. She's so nice. My daughter just biffed it. It's your daughter's opener. And, yeah. And what she said was really, and she goes, thank you so much. She needs to hear that. And that's what was in my mind as I was studying the scripture and writing this message. Uh, Sarah, can you close the door? My toes are so cold. Um, but this idea that there are needs and we can meet it. And if we limit the idea to needs and meeting needs to money, we will miss the entire point. We will miss the conversation of put the cup on the table. So you want it on the floor? Put the cup on the table so you want it outside. We miss the entire heart of what Jesus did if we limit ourselves to just thinking we meet financial needs. So with the last verse, it says, Gives your gifts in private, uh, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Why do you think Jesus told them to do it privately? I know that sounds like a real obvious question because he just straight up called them hypocrites. Like, don't be like that. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But why privately and how do we as a church miss that in the way we do culture and we have? Does that make sense though? Like why would it be privately? Why like why wouldn't Jesus want everybody to know that his followers are doing really, really cool things and giving away and being generous and doing almsgivings and stuff like that? I think there's a I cannot really buy a really good uh, have like a live example mm-hmm. um, that that's not related to technology. <laughs> this is actually a really uh, I think there's that example that I actually see almost like happen like a lot like people on Twitter yeah. right like to get followers yeah so there's a lot of people so on Twitter actually you can see two numbers one is the number that you that that person actually follow someone mm-hmm. and the number another number is how many people that follow that person mm-hmm. right so um, if you go into one Twitter account you will see that two numbers Mm-hmm. So if you see one number is actually larger than another number, which is like how many people that that person follow versus how many people actually follow that person, mm-hmm. uh, you will know that <coughs> person they got followers just because they follow a lot of people, so that a lot of people come back and follow them. 
but that doesn't mean that um, <coughs> one person got more followers by following someone else. You, know, so you just gave us a social media breakdown right there. You I'm do sorry. not want your ratio <laughs> to be really. But cool. that makes that makes sense because if you have high followers <coughs> and you're low following, it's because your content is good, right? Yeah. It's what you're what you're giving to other yeah. people is good. If yeah. you have high followers and you're ha- following a lot of people, it's because you're wanting recognition, yeah. not that you're actually giving something to someone yeah. else, right? Yeah. So so then I'm. I, I did not understand that concept until like I and I, I joined like tweet, you know Twitter like long time ago. I don't understand that concept. I don't understand why there some people have more followers than the number of follow or the number of people that they follow. So then one day that I actually working someone who that giving away a free book, just like you know like fifty pages of free book uh, for coding or whatever, yeah. and he just like tell everyone that you need to share this with everyone because it will free it will be free forever just share it and so because he he just wants to give it to people because it's kind of like he feel the need of people like to learn about that and so he just like and this book is really good to be honest will it teach me how to code because i want to learn how to code definitely i mean like when i'm reading that book i can tell like this is a really good content like a lot of quality let me like I'll he, follow him. I'll he share. put a lot of like effort onto it, not to get followers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need. To, he doesn't want that. But mm-hmm. he wants people to learn. He, yeah. he just feel like that is good thing. Say for people to learn the content. So then, and he has so much followers. So then the concept that is I understand right here when you're mm-hmm. asking like, why they you do it in secret? That means, you know, like maybe because they you just want to give it more so people more. Interested into it, mm-hmm. and people more finding finding it is you know as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, good. Have a no, but like that was a really good one. I'm down. Was it? Sitting with my two adopted little sisters and they're scrolling. They're both on their phone. They're scrolling. They're just tapping. They're liking everything on Instagram. I'm like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, do you actually like the content? And they're like, no. This is. This is. This is they for like thirty minutes. Sometimes for thirty minutes, they'll sit there and scroll through Instagram and tap like on everybody, like on the con- like every post on Instagram, because when they do that, it is a social media like message to the other person. Go through and like my stuff, and I was like blown away by this. I was like, what? That is Sarah's like looking at me. She's like, you don't know that, and I was like, but I was like, what in the world is this? like witchcraft I'm just kidding but it was crazy but they were because it was exactly that it's like if you like me I'll like you kind of thing and I think recognition recognition I love you can you love me or something that That sounds like a sad teddy bear it is a sad teddy bear I love you will you love me I think it's like the idea is like doing it in private is like the at the end of the day I don't know your motivation and you don't know my motivation this is what Jesus is saying like, we don't know. Like, we can, like, I can know somebody really well, but I can't definitely be like, that is, that is, more, I could say, I think that's their motivation. But I, apart from that, apart from saying, these are my experiences with this person, this is the parts of their character that I see, this is why I think they didn't do this to get recognition, I can't say that 100%. I can say it based on my experience. But Jesus is saying, God knows, and he sees everything. So on the outward, you might put on this mask, and you might be the super, like, 
like so popular you do such great things oh my gosh you're so loved and adored by all these people outside you can put on that mask and people will see that and they'll think you're great you get your reward from praise and acknowledgement from those people but just know it's like mic drop it's like god sees it and he knows all of it so at the end of the day we don't know each other's motivations we can make guesses and this is a thing that i want to encourage you like this is so incredibly freeing to know that in church culture is that it's not my place to judge how anybody does anything because I can say based off of these things this is what I think is your motivation but I it doesn't matter because it's not my place to judge you on that my place is to love you and what I will do is I can continue to live and do these things privately because God knows my heart and I and the scary thing about when you say that to people is that you're we're disbanding this idea of controlled religion in the sense like if I can control these group of people this is faith that is not faith law on law on law regulation on regulation on regulation do's and don'ts when people think that is Christianity we have failed as the church that if people don't think Christianity Christians People who love generously and well. People who care for those who have needs. People who stop to acknowledge. When people's first idea is, isn't Christians are wonderful people who love well, just like this guy that they say they believe and they follow in. If that isn't what they think we are, then we have failed greatly because we have missed the, we have missed the point. The religious people have missed the point that their faith was not regulating that their faith was to follow God and love God and point people to him that our faith that Christian faith is to do the exact same thing and as a pastor I see this culture where it's so much easier to control people by saying this is how you do it if you don't do it this way then you're not really a christian and i can tell because i'm a christian and i can tell by your behavior you're not a christian but you know what that's cool i'm not judging you when secretly we're judging people and if that's just that isn't loving people well that isn't loving people where they are and that is us completely missing the point so when god says do when jesus says do it privately it's not about the secret thing it's more god knows your heart don't do things for recognition because this recognition doesn't count it doesn't matter there's no amount of awards and pieces of paper that people can give you that will ever even be comparable to the reward in heaven which is this eternity with God there's no amount of um, likes on social media and shares on social media and that type of acknowledgement that will be equal to what is in heaven and what is in heaven the promise in heaven in revelation it says that in heaven there will be no more weeping there will be no more shedding of tears but in that place the very presence of God will come and dwell over amongst inside of men that <coughs> if my fingertip was earth when you do the math the math that they do in revelation it is essentially like if the fingertip is earth, this is the kingdom of God coming to earth. Completely encompassing, completely embedding 
That is the presence. There is no more sin and brokenness to separate us, but we are constantly living in a state of abiding and aligning with God. That is the promise of heaven. That is a reward. And that is what Jesus is saying. When you do this, when you are just generous because I am generous, when you are kind because I am kind, because you are abiding in me and this is something natural, that when you reach for something with your left hand, you don't even think if your right hand knows it because you're just doing it with this hand. You're not about, all right, left hand, I just want you to know that your right hand, right hand, you should know that left hand is picking up the cup. We don't even think about it that way. We just do it. It's reflex. It's natural. That is kingdom living. That is what kingdom living should be like. And it should constantly be in a state of discomfort because giving of yourself, being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel, that is worth it. And that is what that is the heart of what Jesus goes into when he's talking with his talking with his disciples. Is that we're missing the point. So let me make it really basic for you. And that is the heart of God. And so one of the things that we started doing is what <coughs> what is your takeaway from these four verses? And we all take a turn to share it. So, baby, you want to go first? <coughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think my takeaway is um, you were talking about generosity. I think a lot of times my immediate first thought is money and things like that too, but it's just being generous with the things the Lord has given you. You know, I think that we often talk about like serving from an overflow. I think that definitely, you know, directly pertains to this as well too. It's like if you have an overflow of time, if that's something that you have been given, if that's the way that the Lord has been generous to you, like figure out the ways that you've seen him be generous in your own life and find ways to do it for others. So um yeah just like thinking about what your intention is when you're being generous and like the credit in itself isn't what's bad it's like thinking about that before your action and like wanting to live from a place of generosity regardless of the credit that brings and it's not like the credit or no credit like even overthinking like is this private enough like that's just not where your heart should be Mm -hmm. it's like more about what you're doing and like being generous and then Mm -hmm. everything else is like an afterthought that's good I like the whole heart not hype lifestyle whoa sir that was good (laughs) that was good the heart to heart connections and making those meaningful connections without making it a public thing can be a lot more rewarding to you and everyone else Instead of making it a big public thing where no one really knows you, but they'll follow you. Yeah. And they'll just say, hey, I know this guy because he hypes himself up and mm-hmm. someone who's not. And uh, kind of that question of, are you loving life or are you living in love? Yeah. That's good. Pull one-liners, T, I like it. <laughs> heart versus hype. Oh, that's good. There's a book called Heart Not Hype. Like Tom oh, learn something new. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, uh, it's really easy <coughs> to acknowledge. Like you talked about the people getting their names printed on the bricks. Yeah. You know, like this person paid this much money to, you know, lay, help lay these bricks, you know, for this cool memorial or whatever. That's a really easy way. You can buy your, like your 
popularity in that way. You know, mm-hmm. you can imply like, oh, you know, thank you so much for helping build this thing, but it's the person's not actually laying the bricks or anything like that. You know, so no. um, and the person who probably donated that money had to think really hard about donating it, or mm-hmm. maybe they didn't. They've got lots of money, but they just kind of like did it and didn't think about it, or they thought really hard about it, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but then when you're when you're not thinking so hard about you know generosity and like you know the like why you're doing things mm-hmm. like uh, it becomes really seamless like yeah. for me like I've experienced that where it's like you know if I if I feel like I'm doing like really good things for people I'm mm-hmm. not invertly thinking like oh this is gonna be really good for on or yeah. you know I'm gonna be doing this it's like it's kind of you're not thinking about your hands but yeah. it's kind of just the same thing yeah. so that's that's something that I've experienced in yeah. my life. Uh, something that I would add maybe to it is like you can't outgive God. You know what I mean? Like He is always more generous than we are. And so um, there's, you know, I a lot of people have like a lack mentality, like they don't have to give, right? And even I've suffered from that same thing. Um, but when it comes to God, like you just, you know, if He asks you to give it. vouch for whatever Tui is saying about our Vietnamese family. So it's, um, so then I grow up from, from that and um, I feel lucky that I got out like around 20, so I mostly then living on my own life and try to change that part of myself. Um, of course, it's still really hard eh, to, to passing through that, that barrier of who I am and growing from. So one of the uh, moment that I still experience the materialistic of myself is like when I tip it mm-hmm. it's really hard like so because like it's like like in my mind it's just like okay what is the most is is that over 20 or is under 20 or you know whatever um, and is it worth it 
to over 20. And it's, 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 it's the, um, you know, like one of the moments that is really hard for me to get through. And so, part of you say like about like the number or how much that you're giving people that you're talking about, it's really much matter about like how to be giving it and, and what's the motive of it, right? Mm -hmm. So, then from there, then I learned how to uh, not tip it. And I let someone else really good at tipping, with, you know, with generous to do so. So I ask him Boo all the time that, okay, do you want to tip? Because I don't want to touch this card. <laughs> because I, I'd rather not let someone doing it and more than that, actually, you know, reaching that sin of me. Yeah. You know, so I try to avoid it. It's really hard. So, and, and of, of course, a couple of times that I know that he tips even more than I thought. <laughs> and it's really hard for me that, you know, like really learn that. Okay, he's a he's a master. He's a good he's a good person. He's really you know his motive of, of tipping people is really good. Like come come from a really good motivation. He's he's tipping people because he understand that person background. He used to be a cashier person. He used to working labor job before, so he feel like he wants to tip more. And so like I'm I trust him, so I let him tip wherever they mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. And I will never try to figure that out. Or never try to ask him like how much did you tip or whatever. Give me percentages, Lou. Give me percentages. <laughs> so, so that is I could you know try to, you know I mean like yes I'm not perfect person. That is like to like really take away this and try to change myself. It's really hard to change myself. So I rather they try to avoid to be to be you know to do that part more than you know, try hard. I think in preparing for this message, um, just the idea is like I've I've never met a person who has regretted obeying any prompting of the Lord to be generous in any way. And even in our life, in moments where we have had the Lord like generous with our home, generous with our things, whatever it is, our time, uh, when we know it is God, we have never like when we obey even if it hurts we've never regretted it and i think that is a practice that's a spiritual discipline to practice is that in those spaces when god asks you to do something you're like i don't even know how we're going to do that is that we often can't see what that blessing actually does mean to somebody and actually what kind of impact that has on that person because we took the time to care because we took the time to listen because we gave we bought them a meal because we reached out we don't we I don't think on this side of heaven we will understand how great those promptings and those blessings are to the other person but when we listen and we obey and we follow I think on the other side of heaven we'll get to see what that looks like and so my takeaway is like you will never we will never regret being generous in any way when God calls us to be generous even if it hurts it doesn't it, like to me I don't ever want to miss an opportunity to obey God because I will never regret obeying God but I will always regret every decision I have made to not obey and so that is my takeaway and so um, four verses saying packed full packed full of stuff <laughs> 